0: We have been in this series, Keeping Up with the Joneses, and we've treated it like it's a television show because we've got up here, these two houses represent a street where two sets of Joneses live. They live next door to each other. Their families are very similar to each other. Their, their homes are indistinguishable, except they're mirror images of each other. And except on the inside, one house has taken all of their financial cues from culture. And they've just adapted to what culture says, and it's created great stress and anxiety. The other house takes their cues from Scripture and what Jesus has to say about our money. And so each week, that's what we've been exploring. Well, today, we're going to call it the series finale, if you want, the season finale. But last week, to get us where we are, last week, if you watched last week or you participated in last week, we, we asked a very important question that was this, why do I have so much? And for many of us, we've never ever stowed down and thought, why do I have more than I need? And the reason we never asked that, the reason that we struggle to ask that question is because greed is so difficult to see in the mirror. It is a challenge to recognize greed in our own lives. It has a way of coming in and taking over our thinking. So, the last thing that we have talked about last week is when you have more than you need, it is for someone in need. And forgive the typo, I'll put a question mark on there, I don't know why. When you have more than you need, it's for someone in need. And we learned what it meant to be sharing. That's why I love what Rachel and the children's crew is going to be doing with these contributions that they'll be taking up is it's a tangible way to share. They will become aware of those in our community and around them that are in need. And they will have a response that says God's calling us to meet that need. And so with that being said, let me welcome you to this week's edition of Keeping Up with the Joneses. We started last week with a question, and I want to start this week with a question, too. And here's a question that can sum up our entire series or be an overview of it, but how does God view your money? How does God view your money? What does God see when He's talking about, thinking about, when He's investigating the money? The money that you actually have, the one that, the dollars that you have control over, the way that you spend... How does God view your money? And so, I want to go to a teaching today in Scripture where Jesus gives a parable, an illustration. And in this parable, the illustration, He is giving us the God view on our money. It's an incredible way to put on some God eyes and see what God sees when he looks at our money. When we look at our money, we probably see not enough, right? We, we see either security, lack of security. We see buying power. We see the, the object that we want to buy. We see something that we think that we can um, grab some happiness with. But how does God see our money? And that's what I want to look at. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the Gospel of Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke, in your New Testament, a gospel, remember, is the life and the history and the teaching of Jesus, including his mission and ministry on the cross, and his death and his resurrection. All of the gospels contain some of the teachings. Some of them have more of the teachings than others. Luke has a lot of the teachings in it, and Jesus is teaching in this part. And he's going to give this parable in Luke chapter 16... And we're going to walk through it, I'm going to tell you, this is a weird story. This this doesn't flow the way you think most parables flow. But after I had some guys that are a lot smarter than I help me understand what's going on, I fell in love with this story, and I love to teach on it when it comes to stewardship and our money. So Jesus is teaching. He's got a group of people around him. He's got some very poor people, and he's got some very wealthy of the day people gathered around. And to this group, this very diverse group that's in front of him, he begins this teaching. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. Now, pause. Jesus gives us a lot already. He starts with the rich man. In that day... That really meant something because most of the people were very poor. So now there's a rich man. And he's not just a rich man. He's so rich, he has so much wealth, that he actually has a manager for his wealth. A rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be the manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? Now, if you highlight or you circle in your Bible, I want you to circle that word now. It's a time word, and it's going to matter in just a few minutes. What shall I do now? Now, he's having a conversation with himself. He's, we're getting to hear his thoughts out loud. My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when, second time word, that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. Apparently, he's a crafty guy. He's a clever guy. He already, he just got the pink slip. He just got the, the, the termination notice. He says, you're out of here. And now he's already got a plan together. And he doesn't want to end up on the streets. He doesn't want to end up having to do manual labor. And so he devises this plan to stave off those two outcomes. Here's what he says. <clears throat> so... He called in each of his master's debtors, and he asked the first, How much do you owe my master? The man replies, Obviously this is some type of merchant. 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Now, this guy just confirmed... What everybody was saying about him, right? He's dishonest. This is not his wealth. He is managing on behalf of somebody else, and so he calls in all the customers, the clients, the 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 vendors, and he's bringing them in. He says, "How much do you owe?" Says, "Well, nine hundred gallons of olive oil. This is a significant sum." And there, on the spot, he says, "You take your bill, and I'll take the official ledger in the books, and we'll mark out, and we'll go from 900 down to 400." He cuts it in less than half. And then you know what had to have happened after that. The guy is, the the merchant that's receiving this kind of deal, is incredulous at this moment. He's blown away. And so I'm sure he thinks, man, this is the best day of my life. And he turns and he walks out the door. I can just imagine that he turned to the guy and said, hey, if there's ever anything that I can do for you, let me know. And the dishonest manager goes, don't worry, I'll be calling sooner than you think. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. Take your bill make it 800 then so he goes through this and he keeps cutting deals with everybody and so one by one he's cooking the books one by one he's cutting the deal and he's garnering himself favors from all the clients because he is being very generous with wealth that's not his to be generous with he's supposed to be the manager so Jesus goes on with the story. The master commended the dishonest manager. Now nobody expected that when Jesus originally told the story. The manager, I mean the, the, the master chewed out the manager. The master sued the manager. The master had the manager arrested. And locked away in debtor's prison. No, no, this is Jesus. And Jesus says the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. Now, if you were in the original hearing of this sermon, this teaching, you would have gone, well, he's just got his words backwards that's a fluke. That's a blooper that Jesus just gave. Because you would be working it in your head, you'd be like, okay, I've heard parables before, and they're always um, kind of analogies, and they help me understand, and so somebody in the parable is usually God, so I'm going to say that's the master, the master's God, I got that, and so somebody's usually me. I'm not sure who I am in the parable yet, because I haven't found the good guy, but then there's this dishonest Manager, and so he's the one that you know. The justice will come to that which is fair is going to happen to him. That the one that we see the right thing occur to him, which is to get the punishment, it's him. So, so I've got God. I know who he is, and I've got to figure out who the manager is. And somewhere, I'm still trying to figure out where I am. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. The master commended this manager. For being very shrewd. And then he goes on to explain it. The people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends from yourself. So that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that the world, those out there that aren't lovers of God, those that don't follow Jesus, that are just going with the culture, they've got a different view of money than you do if you're a follower of Jesus. And he's saying, I want you to pay attention to this because how they view money, there's something that we can learn from it. And so he says, understand what they did. He says, I want you to use your worldly wealth. Talk about that just a second. And I want you to build friends for yourself. That's exactly what this guy did. There's three things. Three things that this is going to teach us about how God views our money. And here's the very first one. This is what the shrewd manager did. This is what God sees it. It's this right here god sees your money as a tool god sees the slide your money is a tool god sees the money as a tool what did the manager do he went out and created these relationships for himself so that because now he had a little bit of time right he says, he says, what will I do now? He knows that he's got a little bit of time because a couple of days he's got to show up and hand all the books over. But he had just a little bit of time, and he's got a little bit of money, and he can do something with that. It was a tool for him to leverage. And Jesus comes along and says, you use your worldly money as a tool, your worldly treasures. Now, when he says that, if you've grown up in church, we always take the world worldly And we think that means evil. We think it means, you know, something not good. In this case, what worldly is referring to is you take your worldly, your treasures of this world, your temporary treasures. We talked about you don't get to take it with you a few weeks ago. You take your treasures from this world and you leverage them, and notice what Jesus says, so that there's... Friends, in eternal dwelling. So he uses two more broad-time words. Temporary, worldly, here and now, for eternal something that's coming. Jesus is saying, your money is a tool. You leverage it in such a way that you increase the kingdom of heaven. You increase the population of heaven this is a whole different way for some of us to look at our money than we've been looking at our money. You take what little bit of time and what little bit of resources you have and you leverage it. Maybe it's something as simple as helping fund a missionary somewhere around the world where there are people that are now hearing the name of Jesus that have not heard the name of Jesus yet, and because of God is using and multiplying your contribution and your dollars, you are leveraging it on behalf of the kingdom, and the, the kingdom is increasing. May, maybe it's something, not your actual money, but maybe it's your treasure. I, I know of so many of you that use your worldly temporary car, and for some of us our cars are very temporary. You use your temporary car... And you pick somebody up and you bring them into church every week. God's saying, that's how you use your money. You, you're willing to host a youth thing at your house. And with your worldly temporary couch and your worldly temporary den, you're going to let a bunch of temporary junior hires come over. And they might end up making a mess. but somewhere in that chaos one of them sees Jesus clearly for the first time and begins to give his life to him and the population of heaven begins to increase again everything that you manage remember we're not owners everything that you manage becomes a tool that you can leverage to increase and invest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus goes on. He keeps playing this out. He says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Now, this sounds harsh, doesn't it? It says, if I can't trust you with a little, why would I trust you with a lot? Your money is a tool, but your money is also a test. Your money is a test of how you're going to steward the little bit of time and little bit of resources You've been given. And we began this by saying what Jesus does not ever teach. He never teaches what we call the health and wealth gospel. If you give something to God, your life gets comfortable, easy, wealthy, and successful. That is not the gospel message. But it is a test, and just God saying, if you will steward my stuff well, if you will manage my treasures well as you meet needs, invest in the kingdom, share with those that need, share with those that are in need, then I will continue to bless that. Maybe it's helpful if you thought of it this way. It's as if God hands us the, the end of a water hose, and he's saying, as long as you are blessing, letting the blessings rain down on others, I'm going to keep it flowing. Did you ever, as a kid, you ever try to kink that, kink that water hose? See how long you can do it? I always did it and then invited my brother to look in the other end. <laughs> I, I, I let the blessings rain down on him. You know, it was, it was good. But when you try to close it off, because suddenly we want to store up for ourselves. God says, I shut off the source at that point. But you take what little, and you begin to bless others, and you steward that well, investing in the kingdom, leveraging it on behalf of those that do not yet come, that do not yet know Christ, that those that are in need, those that are can have their lives changed by God, and you can be a part of that. You keep that going. God says, I'm going to let that flow. I'm going to make a blessing there. So in some ways, it's a test. Then the last part. He finishes this way. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one or love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. We've talked about this. This is one of the key verses of this whole series. But then he goes on, and he teases that out a little bit more. You cannot serve God and money. And then he gets really pointed in this sermon. He starts calling people by name. He says, the Pharisees. These would have been the very respected religious leaders of the day. And so when he calls them out, he's pointing the finger and saying, You church people, you think you have it all together. It says, the Pharisees who loved money heard all of this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you're the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others. But God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. You're trying to live one way in front of others, but God knows what's going on in your hearts. And here's the point that Jesus makes. Your money is a testimony. How we handle our treasure is critical to our witness to the world. We cannot pretend to have a witness to the world and be so wrapped up in our treasure that we think our witness actually is making a difference. God says, you cannot serve both God and money. I would suggest to you that how we handle putting either God on the throne of our hearts or money on the throne of our hearts, how we make that decision, and whichever one of those competing entities wins, the world your neighbors, your friends, your family, your coworkers, your schoolmates, your teammates, they can tell without us ever having to tell them. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying it's obvious to everyone that was around, the Pharisees, they thought they had the public image all polished up right. And Jesus says, everybody sees through it. Everybody sees that you love money. Your money is a tool. It's a test. And it's a testimony. And how we go about getting that in the right order is critical. So I want to spend just the last few moments talking about how we organize our world to get it in the right order. Because the Pharisees, there was something about them that they were pursuing their treasures. And in Matthew 6, Jesus says these famous words, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. You should make a note about that verse. Matthew 6, Seek first his kingdom. Because this is where we begin to order our world so that our, how we handle our wealth is a testimony to others about how much we trust and depend on God. Let's go back to our families. Over here, this said Joneses, where they've taken their cues from the world. They've organized their financial world in such a way. And perhaps this is how you've organized your financial world. But they've got a list. This isn't for lack of thinking about it. Here's how they handle, treat their world. They spend. That makes sense. I earned money. It's my money. Let me spend. They pay their taxes. The government helps with that part. They pay their bills. Then, if there's anything left, they're going to save for their future And then after all of that, even with the best of intentions, usually there's not much left, but there's something was, then they would give. But because it for so many of us it falls at the bottom after we spend and we've paid and then we've saved a little bit because we're worried about the future, there's not much left. And so then when the opportunity to leverage our money, to be generous with it, and to give some, we usually end up at the point where there's not any this month. Anybody ever been there before? The opportunity, maybe it's the, the charity at work. Maybe it's your realization of a of a friend or a coworker in need. Maybe it's an opportunity at church. Maybe it's a missionary that you're aware of. Maybe it's a child that you want to sponsor. Whatever it is. But you get to that moment. And because of this is the order that we've gone, and this makes sense to culture... This makes sense to everybody else and everybody else up and down your block that by the time we get down here to give, go, there's nothing left. I want to be generous. I've got it in my heart, but I haven't structured my world in the same way. Matthew 6, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom. So what does that mean? That means what I want you to do as we go over to this family of Joneses is I want you To flip your list. Give to God first. Save for your family's needs and the future needs next. Then take care of all your responsibilities. Take care of all the the obligations that you have. As followers of Jesus, we want to be people that take care of our responsibilities and our obligations. And then, spend. Completely different. Here's a simple way to remember it. You give, you save, you live. Under this, what you say, your view, again, we're adopting God's view my money, first of all, is not my money. I'm the manager of it, just like the guy in the story. And we all have a little bit of time and a little bit of money. And I don't care who you are compared to God, it's a little bit of time and a little bit of money. Maybe you've heard the old preaching saying, the old preaching joke where the, the man saying, Lord, to you, a million dollars is just a penny. And a thousand years is just a second. Lord, just give me a penny. And Lord responds, give me a second. Some of you will figure that out later. (laughs) But what we're doing is we're saying, I'm going to manage what little I have and the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to give to God. For some of you, You've grown up with this idea of practicing what's known as the tithe, a 10%. There's a percentage that you said, I'm going to live off a certain percentage, and I'm going to give the first 10% to God. This, this is affirmed throughout Scripture. The rest of us, you may not even be aware of this, but the rest of us, you're living off a certain percentage anyway, because the government's taking a part of it already, so you're still having to live off a certain percent. Some of you are trying to live off 102%, but you're living off a percentage. What this says is, pick a percentage, give the first part to God, save the next percentage, and live off the rest. This is so free. I know if you've never considered this, and this has been your st- financial strategy your entire life, this is scary, isn't it? Because you've never been on this side of it yet. But if you were real honest, you'd say you're stressed out and you're anxious over here. And maybe you're wrecking relationships over here. And maybe you're indebting the future in such a way over here. And you're sitting on... Something that is ticking, and you don't know when it's going to go off. But This can be incredibly freeing. And this is where God says, trust me. Let me show you, again, not how wealthy I can make you, but how much at peace and on purpose I can make you. Flip your list. Now, I was looking for the perfect emotional closer, the illustration that would just drive this home. As I went trying to find that perfect story, I came across it. So I want to share it with you now, but surprisingly I found it right in Scripture, about this idea of flipping our list and seeking first the kingdom of God. And this illustration comes from Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. And Jesus is the first one that flipped his list for us. We are people that have received the blessings from the one that could have claimed all treasure and yet didn't claim any of it because he was going to put God first and give. And here's how, Jesus, here's how Paul tells the story God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because you were in need. Jesus Flipped his list. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I confess this is always a lot easier to talk about than to live out. So I pray for each of us, Father, right now. Whether present, watching online, or even listening to the podcast later. That you would help us to see our money as you see our money. That we see temporary things as tools to make an eternal difference. To change the population of heaven. Father, that we would be faithful in that stewardship of them to where you would continue to bless. And allow us to steward more and more. To bless more and more. And Father, may we handle this in such a way where our testimony is seen and not just heard. Father, I'm so grateful that Jesus did not grasp tightly to the treasure of heaven, but was willing to humble himself on our behalf and become obedient to death. And he took my place. So, Father, I pray that you would help us to reorient our entire world, even if it doesn't make sense to our neighbors, even if it seems hard to explain to someone that doesn't yet follow you, that we would reorient our world and through that see what's possible for you to do when we trust. Father, I ask all this in the name of the one that laid down his life for us. In the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.